Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Talking Philly Sports with Matty B. I am your host, Matt Benarchek, and I am happy to be back with you today. It is Friday, May the 15th, and I have a – actually, I am positively giddy about, about today's show. Um, on the phone with me right now is a legend in the Philadelphia sports media scene, uh, both by his intelligence and also his controversial – stand on a lot of Philadelphia sports topics, and I'm talking about Joe Giglio, and Joe joins me uh, via cell phone, and Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well, Matt. I'm excited to talk to you. I, I wouldn't use the word legend, but uh, <laughs> I, I am I'm excited to be part of your podcast today. That's great, Joe, and uh, again, I, uh, I appreciate you taking time out of a very busy, actually a very surprisingly busy time in sports right now to come on and spend me spend about 30 minutes with me, and uh, I hope to... Uh, to kind of get inside your head a little bit, Joe, on, and on a professional level, of course, today. You got it. Yeah, I'm always excited. To, you know, look, I can talk sports all day, so uh, this is a fun, different avenue to do it, and I'm happy to be with you. Awesome, awesome. All right. So, Joe, I guess really I, I, I like to, when I meet a person or I meet somebody, I always kind of want to get a quick background of, of where of where they come from because I'm, I'm a firm believer of where they come from kind of makes up a lot of who they are. So, Real quick, uh, where were you born? Where are you from? What school did you go to, and all that kind of stuff? So I grew up in Jersey, uh, Central Jersey, which I which exists. You know, a lot of people just call it North Jersey or South Jersey, but my whole life I was smack dab in the middle. Um, so I grew up in Monmouth County. I went to high school in Ocean County, which you're kind of right there in the middle. And then, uh, ironically, the first house I bought was. Um, like if you look at the state of New Jersey and you you look like you find directly in the middle, that was the town I lived in. So, um, so I lived in Central Jersey really my whole life. Um, I went to school, high school in Ocean County at uh, in Thomas River, and um, and then I went to to Sales University up in the Lehigh Valley uh, for college from uh, 04 to 08, and um, then I bounced around a little bit. My wife and I got married. Uh, we lived in South Jersey, which also exists, and then. Uh, we lived in Maryland for about a year and a half near Baltimore, and then and then we came back to New Jersey, and now I live in Bucks County. So I've been kind of New Jersey, Pennsylvania, a little Maryland, and then uh, now back to Pennsylvania. And uh, growing up, Joe, was was sports like always a big part of your life, or were you more interested in like watching it or playing it, or what's what's your what's your sports background? Yeah, so I, I played uh, baseball was my thing as a kid. Baseball was probably the first uh, sport that I loved. Um, just like the rhythm of the game and watching the game. I used, my parents used to VHS uh, baseball games on TV for me. If, if they were too late for me to stay up and then I'd watch them in the morning. Like this was like, you know, late eighties, early nineties. So uh, I loved baseball. I played baseball growing up. I played football in high school. And then, you know, I started to realize probably early on in high school or halfway through high school, like, yeah, there was no chance I was good enough to play in college. So uh, let, let's kind of move forward with, what I'm going to try to do with sports. I always thought I wanted to, to be part of it. Um, and actually, Matt, I, my first intention when I started thinking about school and what I wanted to do was, was not radio or, or media or anything. It was to work in a front office. I, I wanted to be 
you know, I, I wanted to be Howie Roseman, basically. You know, I want to kind of like work my way in uh, after going to school. And then, you know, my dream was to become a GM. That, that's that's kind of where I came from when I went to school, when I was thinking on the sports world. And then um, the plans changed. And, and now, you know, here are we, here we are. So let me clarify. You want to be Howie Roseman. You didn't necessarily want to uh, draft a quarterback with the 53rd pick in the draft, but you just wanted to be a GM, correct? <laughs> Right, yeah, I just, uh, okay. I, I, I wanted to be the guy, and, and this this was starting in the late 90s, I guess, when Howie first got hired uh, into the NFL, like, you know, when I was a kid, all the GMs, really all the sports were ex-players, so I ne- I could, it never dawned on me that I could do that, um, or work in the front office, it just seemed like you played, and then you either you're coached, or you picked the players, and then, you know, and people like Howie, and, there's, and now it's every GM, basically, but, like, people like Howie, who you know, go to college and law school, and then they find their way to front office. That's that's in the early 2000s. That's kind of what I thought I wanted to do. That's good stuff, Joe. Now, let me go back a little bit. So you said you spent some time growing up there in the South Jersey, Tom's River area. Um, was your, would you call yourself a Philly sports fan growing up or New York or a combination or just a sports fan? So I would say mostly I was just a sports fan. Actually, the first team I fell in love with was the Yankees. Oh, um, Joe, saving so. Yeah, the Yankees. In the 90, I was 10 years old in 96, like when their dynasty started. Right. So the first team I fell for, like Jeter and all those guys, um, I became a Yankee fan. And then I would say that waned over the years. Um, and then I started covering sports out of school. And then I just like kind of lost all my affiliation. Like I was like – I'm covering games now. I'm a reporter. I, I can't be a fan anymore. So I kind of lost it. I would say about 10 years ago, I, I just stopped rooting for teams. I just like, I'm just going to root for storylines. And I just, I still watch sports just as much. And then I started working at WIP and I got swept up in like what we were talking about. And I, I became a Philadelphia sports fan. And, and I feel like I have been one for you know, the better part of eight, nine, 10 years. Um, and and that's just like what I feel now. I, I, I'm a fan again, and I, I wasn't for a time, and uh, and now I am. Well, so just for those of you who don't know, Joe works for 94.1 WIP out of Philadelphia, which I, I believe is probably in a in a market that's um, that, that's pretty big. I, I would put WIP up there at the top. And I'm not talking locally. I'm talking nationally. I, I, I really uh, – I, I hear it from people all over the country uh, that they've actually tuned in to 94 WIP and really enjoy the the content and the passion. And that's the big word I hear all the time about WIP, the passion. Um, you can catch Joe weekdays on WIP if you're in Delaware Valley. It's 94.1 on the FM dial or on the radio.com app, search 94 WIP. Joe, um, so, okay, so you're, you're in school and you decide you want to be a general manager. When did it kind of switch and, like, what was the what, – what, got you to switch so it was a couple things um one as i got to my senior year i started looking at uh, applying to law school and i just didn't have i guess i didn't have the drive or the itch like to keep going in school and to to go down this path it just it, i didn't seem as as interesting as it did when i first got to college so that was my first pause and then uh my senior year i took a, a radio class and it was just an elective just for fun and as part of the uh, the course you get to have your own radio show on the school's radio station and when i found out about that i, I asked the professor like do, do i have to play music like does that have to be like a, a music radio show or can i do like can i talk about sports can i do a talk show and he and he was like uh yeah you can sure I mean, you have to fill two hours if you want to do a talk show and 
talk for two hours. Most people don't want to do that. They just want to talk for a few minutes and play music. Um, he said, go ahead. So I, a, fr- a friend of my uh, friend of mine in my class and I, and we did it and we did it twice a week for two hours. And, uh, you know, people were listening on campus and we got some feedback that this is pretty good. And then my professor said, have you ever thought about doing this? And I said, what are you doing? What? And he said, you, you know, being on the radio for a living. And I said, I, I've never thought about this one time. I just want, I just thought it'd be fun to talk about sports. So, so he saw something that he thought maybe I could, I could pursue. And then, uh, I had a, a conversation where I, I called home to my parents and I was like, look, I know this is what I've been in school for, for three years, but I think I might want to do something different. And, um, and that, that's, that's when the switch happened. And as you were like, so this is actually a question that I, I'm really interested in. You're on the radio. You're doing sports talk radio, right? First time, second time, whatever. Did you draw from any influences that you might have heard yourself? Or did you have a, a certain way that you'd always want to do it if you got the chance to do it? How did you, how did you go about communicating? So, yeah, I, I feel like I did come in at a little bit of an advantage. I love talk radio. Like, as a kid, I always listened. Now, sports was my passion, so I listened to a lot of sports radio. I remember listening to Howard Eskin. Point I'll work with uh, when he was on the air during the afternoon at WIP because where I lived in in, um, in central Philadelphia, uh, central New Jersey, I got both stations. I got New York TV, Philadelphia TV, and depending on like you know if I went two towns south, you know driving with my parents or in the car by myself when I you know got to be sixteen, seventeen, or two towns north, I would get the New York stations, uh, sports stations, and I would get Philadelphia. So I heard Howard. I heard Angelo, um, Mike and the Mad Dog in New York. I think that was kind of like a, a national thing, uh, even though they were local. So I, I listened to a lot of sports talk. So I, I don't know if it was that I knew I was taking from those guys. But, yeah, I'm sure all of it kind of played in my head because I had listened to a lot of sports talk and, you know, just also ESPN stuff over the years. So it probably was a combination of all those things, just listening as a kid. And so how did you end up uh, breaking into WIP? So – yeah, this is kind of a winding road, um, how I got here. It's, it's funny. So I, when I first got out of school, um, I put some tapes together with the help of that professor, and I sent them out. And the first gig I got was doing high school sports talk on the Jersey Shore for two hours a day. Matt, I was making $10, uh, or I guess $10 an hour, so 20 bucks a day, 100 bucks a week to do radio. Uh, first got out of school, I did two hours a day talking about, like, the high, you know, local high school sports, whatever it was, the football season, the basketball, baseball in the spring. And I did that for about a year. And after that, the, the company that owned that station had an opening at 97.3 ESPN down in Atlantic City, uh, which uh, Mike Gill does the afternoon show there. And there's been a lot of different uh, people from Philadelphia Sports Radio that have kind of gone through there at some point. So they said, uh, we have an opening from one to three every day. Um, it's a Philadelphia, it's like, it's, it's not only Philadelphia sports, but they've slanted more to that because South Jersey's, you know, I said, do you want to do it? And I said, yeah, I mean, I, of course I'd love to. So I was able to do that for about a year and I, I loved it. And, uh, and yeah, I met a bunch of people there that, that now work in Philadelphia in some way. So I did that and then the station got sold and they canceled my show. Um, they said, look, we just you want to have the budget for it and it's only two hours we're not making revenue off it so yeah we're sorry uh so i was out of a job uh, i just got married i was out of a job for about six months and then wfan in new york um the uh 
our sister station, WIP sister station in New York, held a contest uh, once a summer for about three years. And the idea of it was, uh, they called it Fantasy Phenom. And basically, it's like an American Idol-style sports talk competition. And if you win, you get to have a year uh, doing Saturday morning from 1 to 3 a.m., one shift a week. Um, so I, I entered the contest, and I won. So I that's how I got into uh, our company, which is now Entercom. It was CBS Radio at that point. So I won. I was there for about a year. And um, a year went by, and my contract was up. And at that time, they didn't really have any extra shifts. So I was looking to see where I could continue working. Otherwise, I would just kind of like maybe get a show once every two months or so. So I went to the boss there, and I said, look, I want to keep doing this. I know right now your staff is kind of full. Do you have any suggestions? And he said, let me place a call down at WIP in Philadelphia. You were, you know, you did Philadelphia sports talk before you came here in Atlantic city. I, I could think you'd be a fit there. So I thanked him. And, um, and about three weeks later, I got a call from WIP and they said, uh, do you want to do a Saturday night? Uh, this was October of 2012. So do you do a Saturday night show. And I said, yeah. Um, so I did it. And for about, three years I would probably do like a Saturday here and then it increased like every Saturday night at 10 o'clock. And then, you know, once in a while we get a fill in overnight and I'd have like two shifts a week. And that went on for a few years, Matt, and until, um, until actually spike went from doing, uh, spike Eskin went from doing on air shows to becoming the assistant program director. And then he became the program director kind of in the midst of all this. And then, uh, you know, he said, let's, let's start working with you more. Um, and he was, you know, we did a lot of stuff behind the scenes, like listening to my tapes and trying to help me get better at this. And, um, so I did part-time at WP for about five years and then spike in the middle of that took over. And, and then there was an opening at night in 2017 and, and kind of here we are now. So, so when you went over to WIP, Joe, were you aware of the mystique of WIP at the time? Were you aware of the market you were about to enter? Were you aware of? I, and I, I got it. You, you grew up in that in that area of a Philly fan and and whatnot. But were you aware of what you were stepping into? Yes and no. So I knew it was a heritage station, and I knew it was like in my mind it was very similar to what New York was. And I worked there for a year, so I got the vibe of that. Um, but it's it's different. It, as similar as it is, and the passion is there on both stations. I, I consider Philadelphia, New York, Boston. Like when you listen to or not, I've done you know sports radio in two of them. It's just different. And like I, sometimes on my radio.com app, I'll turn on just like Pittsburgh or Baltimore, where I lived for a little while, or like wherever Los Angeles, just to see like what what it sounds like. And it's just different everywhere. I'd say except Boston, New York, Philadelphia. So I, I knew that that would part would be similar like the passion and the energy from callers. Um, but I think it's, it's unique. Like in New York, I feel like it's such a big city. There's 10 million people, you know, there's so much going on that like what you say or what you do, it just kind of gets lost. And like, there's so much noise and so much going on. Philadelphia is more like, even though it's a major city, it does have like a small town feel at times where like everyone knows everyone's listening um, so that part I, I was not prepared for, but I, I think it's awesome. Like, I, I just say the idea that everyone's locked into what's going on every day and everyone kind of knows everyone and callers know other callers. I, I think that's, that's fun. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you, Joe. I, um, I've been with WIP since the six ten AM days and, uh, 
as you mentioned, uh, Howard Eskin earlier on in the uh, in the interview, I, I remember Howard, God, I was a kid. I remember watching Howard do the weather on local TV news. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, well, I'm dating myself a little bit, but, um, but no, I agree. Um, I agree. So, and I've spent some time in that New Jersey, New York line, and it's funny in South Jersey where you're, you're in like, for example, a town like Wildwood and it's so like heavy Philly sports influence, but then you go up to seaside or point pleasant and then you're, you're stepping on Yankees and, and Mets fans. So it, it, it's a weird uh, demographic down there. And, uh, it, it probably d- definitely hones your skills to be more open and uh, and listen better. I mean, would you agree? Yeah, and, and I think I was preparing for this without knowing because it wasn't what I thought I was going to do. And I was just listening because I just thought talk radio was was fun. And like I just I just thought listening to especially sports talk because it was a you know it's call it like you know I'm not a political person, but like whenever I turn in political radio just to hear talk radio in that sense. It's not as much callers. It's more just the hosts, you know, yelling about something. But I, I think the back and forth with callers is, is the best part of sports radio. And people get animated, upset, or they're laughing, or they're mad at the caller, you know, 20 minutes ago. So, yeah, I feel like I, I prepared for this just by accident because I was my hobby just, you know, in the car. <laughs> or they're mad at you. Uh, so I'm talking to Joe Giglio. You can catch Joe weekdays, uh, weeknights, sorry, from 6 to 10 p.m. on 94 WIP or – the radio.com app, search 94WIP, and also Joe's on Twitter at Joe Giglio Sports. Now, Joe, so you're in Philadelphia, you're doing Philly Sports Radio. What, in your opinion, in a very brief statement, is the definition of a Philadelphia sports fan? Ten words or less, Joe. Uh, passionate, energized, over the top. Was that, that about five words now? About five, uh, yes. Passionate, energized, over the top. But, but true to themselves. Like I, I, like when a Philadelphia sports fan believes something or wants something or knows something, you can't fool them. Like it's just, I, I think that's the best part. Like there's no frauds. Like with a team or a manager or a coach or a GM, if people don't buy in, people don't buy in, and when they buy in, they buy in. That, that's what I found. I agree with you 100. percent Speaking from well experience, anyway. So, Joe, you're you're in the business. You're working in a uh, in, in what, as I said, what I think is a very prestigious, uh, you know, when it comes to sports radio in the city of Philadelphia. Did you find it uh, challenging? Did you find it hard to get to gain that respect from from those older pioneering personalities? And I'll use Howard Eskin as an example. Uh, was there um, resistance to you and your and your movement? And what I mean by your movement. Uh, Again, as people grow older, things change. New people come in with different ideas and different ways of coming to those ideas. Uh, what has been your experience in dealing with that over at WIP? So I, I never found it hard. I think the reason why it, it, it worked um, or I gained the respect of the people that have been there for a long time is that they saw that I grinded. Um, you know, sometimes people move and they change cities and, you know, they're handed a, a full-time spot. That wasn't me. Like, I just, just kind of worked my way up from, you know, maybe one show a month over the course of years to, you know, to, to being the next in line when there was an opening, uh, you know, at nights in 2017. So I think I earned respect that way. Um, you know, for, for a while, I was the guy that whenever someone was sick or Big Daddy was out in the middle of the night, they would just, they'd say, can you fill in? And I would run there. So I, I think that they respected that because I think everyone that's made it in this business, like you have to kind of start the same way. You have to go from nothing and grind, and then you, you kind of make your way up. So I, I think people like Howard and Angela respected that. 
Um, you know, they're kind of the elder statesmen from the beginning. And then the other thing is just kind of weird things happen. So I got to know, especially Howard, uh, well. So you mentioned, it's funny you mentioned Howard with the weather. The first time I worked with Howard was, I forget what year this might have been, 2016. There was a blizzard. It was like a weekend blizzard in 2016 in January. So I was scheduled to be on on a Saturday afternoon. And WIP got everyone that was working that weekend hotels in the city so we could you know, we could do the shifts, but we, it wasn't safe to drive home. So they got us hotel rooms, but basically in exchange that we had to work longer shifts. So they had less people come in, they paid for hotels, but you know, I said, I'd stay on the air from like, I don't know, it's probably like o'clock in the afternoon till 10 o'clock at night. So I, I said, I would do the shift. And then Howard, I don't know why he was there and he couldn't get out because the weather, but I never worked with Howard or really talked to him besides just like pleasantries in the hallway when I, I kind of, past him and he said um joe Giulio is going to be alone for eight hours i'll go in i'll hang out for an hour so i was like this is awesome you know howard howard essen's gonna come on and he ended up staying for like six hours and we just you know talked about whatever in the middle of a blizzard and he told me that story when he did the weather so i, I think with with howard it just kind of it just kind of happened by accident that like we worked together and and i think he started to respect me and then the following fall, maybe it was, or two falls after that, when uh, when Josh Innes, who was doing our afternoon show, when he left, there was there was no replacement at the time for the afternoon. We just weren't. It wasn't like a it wasn't a planned out thing. He was going to be gone. So Howard and I did shows together, uh, maybe two or three times a week for that fall. So we worked together a lot, and, and I think that kind of stuff just uh, probably earned the respect of people at the station. Yeah, I agree, Joe. That is definitely how you get noticed. Uh, no one wants to do uh, – everyone Everyone wants to kind of do what they want to do, but when you enter a business like that and you are so open to just doing whatever it is you want to do to make to get in, to get your foot in the door, that definitely puts you above uh, your peers, in my opinion. All right, Joe, so let's kind of like trans- – let's, let's transfer this conversation into the now a little bit. So um, I, I've been listening to you, and I've called your show a few times, and I don't agree – a lot with your opinions. I don't necessarily not agree with your opinions, but um, I, some of the things that you uh, that you are uh, that you that you are like centered on, man, it just kind of blows my mind a little bit, brother. Uh, I want to talk one again, real quickly. I'm I'm running out of time here, but just please tell me where in what planet or universe is Gabe Kapler a good manager? So, I mean, I'm going to be just doing 16 hours on this next Friday. When That's we right. have our, our once and for all. But uh, I'll sum it up this way. From, like, when the, the Phillies hired Gabe Kapler, I, I didn't have any preconceived notions other than I remember when he played. You know, he was a, he was a pretty average. solid. Average. Yeah, he, average. Yeah, but he was a pretty solid utility outfielder is what I mean. Average. Like, he was just a, you know, he's a guy that played the big leagues for 10 years. That's all I knew about him. And he obviously worked uh, with the Dodgers and whatnot post-career, uh, post-playing career. But I, I got on board with the idea of trying to do things differently, and I thought his thought process on, on, on doing things differently and using data and using numbers to guide decisions and not just saying, well, we're going to do this. Like, he had a reason for everything. So I, I bought in early with, with that idea. And then specifically over the last two years, why I was a fan of his, it, I mean, quite frankly, man, I, I just thought the team wasn't very good. I mean, I, I, I go back to his first year. Where I thought he did a better job his first year than his second year. I mean, that team stunk. I mean, go back and look at some of the lineups that and, and the pitching staff. That team 
was probably a 75-win team on paper. 2018? Uh, they won 66 the year before he got there. Are we talking about 2018, and he had them in first place in, through early August, and then they fell apart. You know, they just kind of ran out of gas, and they won 80 games. Now, it happened with a collapse, so it looked bad at the end. But at the end of the day, I was like, they're a 75-win roster with talent, and they won 80 games. Like, that's a good job, not a bad job. So I, I was entrenched after year one, and then last year – I mean, I just thought that the injuries to the pitching staff sank them, and they didn't try the, uh, you know, they didn't try the deadline. They didn't give any help, so I wasn't expecting much more than what they got. It was disappointing because they added a lot of talent and thought they were going to be better. But as the year went on, I was like, they're just not good enough, and I didn't blame them for not, you know, getting them to the playoffs when they didn't have enough. Real quick, Joe, in one word, would you cons- a yes or no answer? Would you consider yourself anti Carson Wentz? No. I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't know why people think I. I am. It's. It's the funniest thing. The Carson thing. You asked me earlier about Philadelphia sports fans. Like, I feel like a lot of people I talk to are more stubborn about Carson than I am. Like, I acknowledge he's very talented. He makes plays like the Miles Sanders throw a corner of the end zone that very few quarterbacks can make. I just don't believe he's great yet, and, and I think there's a lot of really good quarterbacks in the NFL. So I. You know, I, I look at him as he's between 10 and 15, and maybe he gets better. Maybe he becomes a top-five guy. I just don't see that yet. And when I say that, it's almost like people say, hear it as if I say he's bad or he's an awful quarterback. He's not. He's just – he's had injuries. He's a good quarterback, not a great one yet. And and I'm unsure of what his future is. And I sometimes I'm almost more shocked at people's reaction to what I say than I think I'm saying anything shocking about Carson Wentz. Yes or no answer. Are you pro or against, or are you pro process? I am pro process. Yes. I, um, I, that's one of the first things I got to talk about at WIP that like had some substance that people were passionate about. Uh, cause all the teams were bad when I first started working here really. Um, or at least when I first started getting a lot of shifts, it was like everyone was bad in like 2015 or whatever, but the process was interesting and the process got people to react. So I, I was always enjoying talking about it. Yeah, I was pro process and I thought it was the right way to rebuild the Sixers at the time. I agree. I think it was the right way to rebuild the Sixers, but I don't think Hanky had a plan on after that rebuild. What, what, what was the next step? I, I think that he got kind of caught up in all that, but that's conversation Joe for another day. So hey, listen, Joe, we're about almost out of time and I, I really do want to appreciate you coming on and talking with me. Uh, I know you've been busy, and I know I uh, I speak for a lot of people when I say that what WIP has done over these last two months has been a essential service uh, in terms of keeping us uh, distracted and occupied with other stuff than what's been happening in the real world. So, thank you to you and all the all the all those at WIP for what you guys have done and what you'll continue to do. And um, next week, as Joe said, from 18 May to 23 May, the WIP will be doing the once and for all the greatest debates of well, greatest Philadelphia sports debates of all time. I have a problem with the all time thing because none of the debates are longer than 20 years. So I don't know what all time, what that quite means, but um, I let's call it the recent sports debates. And you are going to do a, uh, a 16 hour shift. Joe, is this correct? Next Friday from six in the morning till 10 PM discussing why Gabe Kapler was a good manager. Is that correct? Yeah. That's right. Um, I, th- I think the way we're framing it is, did he get a fair shake? And obviously I will say uh, he did not. But yeah, we're doing the whole day on Gabe. And uh, I would say, we on every show. And I said, 
All right, let's do it. So, uh, yeah, I'll do 6A to 6B, and then I'll do my own show at 6 o'clock. So are they going to feed you throughout the day, Joe? Are you going to, like, just bounce from studio to studio? And uh, how's this going to work? I mean, how are they going to keep you going? Yeah, you know what? We haven't got a, we haven't uh, crossed the T's and dotted the I's on, on food and drink, but I, I would imagine they'll bring me some food, uh, I get some water, and, uh, and that's really all I need. I'll, I'll be good. I can do it. So just in a nutshell, four hours with Angelo, four hours with the camera, Four hours with Marks, and then you, yes. wow, you're a better yeah, man that, than me. Too. Yes, it is, a, it is a very full day, brother. Uh, hey, listen, Joe, thank you for coming on. Um, I wish you uh, nothing but success as you continue on. Maybe one day you'll see the light of why Gabe Capital was an absolute mistake, but uh, maybe I'll call you next week and we'll talk that on your show. So Sounds good, Matt. Thank you. So everybody, again, I was talking to Joe Giglio from WIP. You catch him on weeknights from 6 to 10. On 94.1 and uh, 94 uh, WIP on the radio.com app. All right, Joe, thanks a lot, brother.